Revelation 22. Verse 1. And follow along as I read through the rest of the chapter. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits and the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to, to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone, has, anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Lord, please bring to life the words of your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Life is hard, isn't it? Suffering is real. And the image is Jesus' revelation, the, the images of Jesus' revelation that we have walked through and considered in our study in Revelation. They are images and revelation of his glory. He is the one on the throne. He is the lamb on the throne. No one kicks, kicks him out. No one has authority over him. He reigns and rules now. And we have considered all of the tough images about his impending judgment that is coming. 
And remember, uh, this, th- the, all of this has been given to the church, those seven letters, the seven messages that we looked at in chapters 2 and 3. All of that is Jesus telling his people, I've got this. I've got it. Because they were living a life looking around and saying, evil's winning all the time. When, where is God? When will he show up? Will, will the suffering continue to mount? And when will it end? Jesus is giving them the answer. So when we feel that in our own lives, is evil always going to win? Is it always going to be there? And we ask God that question. We are to be encouraged as well. Through the impending judgment, the pending judgment, God holding his hand to say on the dam of his judgment that is coming, he's holding it back because one day it will be unleashed. And every man, every woman will stand before Jesus to give an account. But here, it's be, all of this is being given and delivered to John to write to the, the people that were Jesus' people, his bride, so they would be encouraged within their varying degrees of suffering that they're experiencing. And that, that promise is for us, and the promises in this chapter are huge. This chapter awaits us. What I love, it's most, I think my, maybe my favorite phrase in all of Scripture, it, one of them, like three just came to mind, but one of them is this, they will see his face. Oh, wow. You picture what Jesus is like? We won't have to picture anymore. We will see him. We will see his face. We will look in his eyes and we will, we will enjoy his smile over us. Isn't that awesome? It, it makes what we are walking through worth it. Because we just sang, uh, when we see his face, all the toils of life, they'll all be repaid. Because we will see his face. Because all our suffering, this means that that one day we will recognize that all of our suffering in this life has prepared us for that moment and it was worth it. It was worth it. The Apostle Paul tells us that what's happening now is preparing for uh, us for that day. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction. How can people say that at all, ever? Light, momentary? No, people experience tragedy upon tragedy. What we would not wish for an enemy, we experience. And this is what Paul has in mind as he's saying this light, momentary affliction. Why can we say that? Because of what's coming. Look is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God has equipped us to look by the power and the presence of the Spirit inside of us by Jesus' work for us on the cross. We can look beyond what is here. We can look to that day. We can look to the eternal And today we pray like the, remember in Mark 9, uh, the man who had a demon-possessed child and the disciples are trying to pray and deliver the child and cast the demons out and they couldn't do it. Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and Andrew, and, and, sorry, Peter, James, and John. He comes down, 
your disciples couldn't cast the demon out. So Jesus looks at the man and says, oh, the, actually, the man looks at Jesus and says, if you can do something, Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And he said this, I believe, help my unbelief. That's our prayer in this life, isn't it? I really do believe you, God, but convince me more. And I think that's a, that's a passage that says what the man was seeing was, I don't see anything happening right now, but I want to see it in the spirit. I want to see it by faith. So help my unbelief. Help me overcome that. One day, oh, one day we will not need that prayer anymore because it'll all be done. All our groaning will end when we see Jesus. He will be the ultimate sight for sore eyes. That is what we long for. But today, we seek to see Jesus with the eyes of our heart. In today, as in, yeah, right now in this moment, but in our lives. We want to see Jesus with the eyes of our hearts, full of faith, until the day that we see him with our resurrected eyes. We have promises of heaven, heavenly experience in our lives, in this moment that we're living in, in God's time frame but we experience some of them until they are fully realized in the glorious preeminence of Christ in heaven. But today we live in this gap between what's promised and the reality of what we experience. And that gap is hard sometimes. Faith is what accesses the promise, so our reality is affected. We want the promises of heaven to, that, that, that spill over into our lives. We want them to affect what we're seeing and what we're living through. So this means this. When we trust these promises, it doesn't mean that our situation changes necessarily. What happens is our understanding of the situation changes because we have the light of Christ that we can now apply. So we have his understanding, his presence, his comfort. So what happens? Our situation might not change. What changes? We change. And when we change, we see our situations differently. And we have faith to walk them out humbly as servants of Christ. In the first, uh, I think this section's really broken down two parts. You probably have that in your Bible. First five verses are really completing the image from chapter 21 of this glorious new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. But what do we see first in these glorious promises? We see a river of life. Bright as crystal. Imagine that. Nothing clouding it. No pollution whatsoever is in this water. Nothing is impeding its flow. Nothing upriver has gotten into it that makes it bad for us. No, it is bright as crystal. And where does it come from? In Ezekiel 47, this is what picks it. It comes from the, from the, the throne of God. Easy for me to say. It comes from the throne of God. Remember in Ezekiel 47? It's when Ezekiel goes out to measure and he's got a measuring rod and he walks out into the water and it's ankle deep. Then he goes a little farther, it was knee deep. And then it was waist deep. And then he goes out more and it, was, it lifted him then. It was what, it was carrying him along. Listen, that is the river of life that we get to experience today. See, all of those other, the, the ankle, knee, or waist, Think about when you're in, uh, when you're swimming in the Gulf of Mexico and you're there or stepping into a river with a current, you still have control over things. But when the river is up here, it carries us along. We have to be careful not to make sure that our relationship with Jesus is more under our control 
I'm in, but I still have a say-so. I still have, I can walk, I can do what I want. Now, Jesus wants us, come on, come. Come experience living waters. And where do they come from? Remember the promise in John 3. When we receive him, we trust him, out of us come rivers of living water. Where? Because the throne of God. Who's enthroned? Jesus is enthroned in our hearts. So he gives that living water for us to experience and also for others. And this river is in the middle of the street. It's fun to think about whether this is the street or it's not. But it is the source of life for heaven. And the tree of life is there. Remember that from the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden so they would not eat of the tree of life and be stuck in their sin. Which begs the question, Adam and Eve, why didn't you eat that first? What's going on? Why you went after? Well, because the, the devil showed up on the scene because he didn't want that to happen. But here's what happened. Listen, the tree... The tree is in the Garden of Eden that we have access to to eat. And this is one tree, but listen, it's on both sides of the river. How does that work? And we're told that it has 12 kinds of fruit bearing its fruit each month. This is like mind-blowing, right? Because this doesn't happen in our experience. So it could be maybe 12 kinds of fruit that are on the tree every month. One tree producing 12 kinds of fruit at once. Or maybe it's one fruit every month, and everybody eats that fruit, and then the next, the next month, it's a different fruit. It's pretty cool. I want to see that. But this tree is free to eat from, because God's authority and the Lamb's presence ensure that there's no serpent there to deceive. We can eat of this tree freely because nothing will be accursed. And then the, the glorious promise of all promise, we will see his face. This is the glory that Moses asked to see. Remember in Exodus 33 and 34, he says, God, show me your glory. And God responds to him, I can't let you see my face as you are and you'd be able to live. So what did God do? He hid him in the cleft of the rock. If you think of rock of Jesus, he's kind of hid by Jesus. And then when God passed by, he said, I'm going to show you my backside. I can't show you my full glory because you'll be annihilated. You'll be disintegrated. And so we have resurrected bodies in heaven to be able to be with that same glory. Remember, this is the same glory when God had his glory fill the temple. People couldn't stand up to minister. It was that weighty. This is the glory that Moses asked to see. And he can only see the backside of. And what happened? His face glowed. He, was, he didn't even know his face was glowing. This is some serious glory. And that's what awaits us. That's why there's no need for light or lamp. Because this glory is the shining face of God. And then we, with unveiled face. Now we have that now. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We have another promise that we all with unveiled face. This is spiritually, the eyes of our heart. Beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. There will be a day when we won't have to have, well, maybe, maybe we will still have degrees of glory. Because I think we'll always be learning about God in heaven. I don't think learning stops. The frustration and difficulty, like word problems, we won't mind those anymore. Because we won't have sin 
So we'll be able to say, oh, I know what formula to apply right now. I never knew that in school. Word problems were my nemesis. What is going on here? So we continue to learn about God. Maybe we will experience more degrees of glory. That'd be cool. But this is what we do know. We get to see him now. And it's hard because we're distracted. Because we don't know if we're really seeing him. It's hard to see him with the eyes of our hearts. But in that moment, we will recognize that it will all be worth it. The light of his glory will give us the understanding that we long for and ask God for, but can't imagine. Remember, we ask God for things. And in the Old Testament, God's people were asking him for things. What are you doing, God? Where are you? And he said this, if I told you what I'm doing, you wouldn't even believe me. That's why God doesn't, if he gives us more information, we don't respond in faith. We respond with unbelief. (laughs) That's not going to happen. God, you're really going to do that? Come on. So God doesn't give us the information because he wants us to trust him. Because in our own broken minds, when we do get what he's, we, we disagree with him. That just, that's impossible, God. You can't do that. But he reserves it. And he actually says this. Come find out. Come find out what I'm doing. Because he wants us to recognize who he is. Not so much the details of the plan that we think are going to give us peace and comfort in our lives. That's what we ask for. Can you just give me a little bit? God says, if I did, you'd be distracted from me. Because you wouldn't believe what I'm doing. Because I'm working for my glory. See, we won't need flashlights anymore to look and find our way in the dark. It will all make sense to us. And the light that we have will be for understanding and, and knowledge. And the light that we have will then be on us as Jesus' name is on our foreheads. See, these promises are for us to experience today in the, in the gap between promise and reality. But listen, these promises of our eternal home, they are to be and show up in increasing measure, I believe increasing measure in the hard realities of our lives. That's why when we face difficulty, tragedy, experiencing God's sustaining grace to be able to have joy in that situation, that's otherworldly. That's heavenly. That doesn't happen just left up. We don't figure out maybe a mind over matter. We don't do that. God gives it to us. But starting in verse 6 through the end of the chapter, I think we have how we're supposed to live in the not yet. Everybody's like, all right, Jesus, bring this now. This is great. But we have instructions. Nope, there's a way for you to live right now. I think the first thing that we are introduced to is urgency. Jesus is coming back. And he says what? It's near and it's soon. Jesus is coming back soon. We feel like nothing happens soon in our relationship with God, right? I've heard it said, God, he's, he's rarely early, but he's never late. And we want him to be early all the time. He's never late, though. So even when we consider the vapor of our lives and how time zooms by, Jesus really is coming soon. He's coming soon. And Jesus' impending return frees us from crippling fears. 
when we know that he's coming back soon, it frees us from the fears that cripple us into inactivity or unbelief. We really can trust him because he is coming back and all the promises that he has made will be fulfilled because he's a promise-keeping God. And his return also frees us from being crippled by our frustrations with sin. Whether it's sin being done to us or our own personal sin, our own wrongdoings that we are frustrated by. Why can't I just get over this? Why does this person keep on treating me this way? When we look, Jesus, you really are coming soon. I don't have to be crippled by the fears and the frustrations that are seem to be defining how I'm walking with God. He will bring his recompense. He will bring his compensation to what we are experiencing. So we need to live with urgency. How do we live with this urgency? Dream about heaven more. Because when we think about heaven, we long for it. How does heaven, how is it going to be actualized? Jesus returned. So we live with an urgency by dreaming about heaven. C.S. Lewis in the 1950s wrote this. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Dream about heaven. Let your imagination go and think big about what heaven will be because when we do that, and we remember that Jesus is enthroned there, worship is then respond. So we live with an urgency. We also live in worship. John got in this moment, it's, it's kind of puzzling to me a little. Verses eight, uh, eight, through 8 and 9, when he drops to worship the angel. This is the same John that was with Peter. Remember when Peter and John are walking in the temple at the time of prayer and they see a lame man and he's asking for alms, and he says, Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And he, what, he, he leaps up, and he was walking and leaping and praising God. My children remembering the Donut Man song. Walking and leaping and praising God. Because <laughs> I was remembering it too. <laughs> Everybody turns around when this man does that, and they start to worship Peter and John. And they stand back, whoa, 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 no, no, no. We didn't do this. We don't have this power. This is God. God's on the scene. Worship him. And John was there, and yet he sees this angel, and he sees the greatness of God being described, and he's seeing it. He just falls down in worship, because here's what happens. Our greatest moments of worship are when we see Jesus' greatness. When we see him and we lose the concept of what we're trying to work through or or accomplish in our lives, when we see him exalted, we worship. And our worship, remember, is our best weapon in any spiritual warfare context. So in spiritual warfare, we've got to see Jesus. So the result is worship. I want to worship. The glory caused him to worship. And that's what happens when we see God and his glory. When we see his greatness, we worship. And it's why, it's part of the reason that Jesus hasn't returned yet. Because there's more that God wants to gather to worship him. And one of the promises in the book of Revelation is that nations, ethnicities, tongues, tribes, they will all be represented there. 
and we still need to go call them to this worship because what we've experienced, we want to share with others. John Piper gives us some understanding with this as well. He says, worship is the goal and the fuel of missions. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not a private or tribal or national or ethnic privilege. It is for all. And that's why we go. Because we have tasted the joy of worshiping Jesus and we want all the families of the earth included. Seeking the worship of the nations is fueled by the joy of our own worship. You can't commend what you don't cherish. You can't proclaim what you don't prize. Worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. So we worship him. We worship God and and obedience happens. So we, we live with urgency. We live with worship and we live experiencing blessing. There's an obedience in verse 7. Keep these words. Do them. Live by faith. And there's a blessing of these washed robes. Our pursuit of holiness is, is continuing to increase our capacity to experience God in this life, but ultimately in heaven fully. There's also a, 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 a blessing of being sober-minded. First Peter reminds us of that. Apostle Peter said, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's, we have to think rightly about our lives and the world that we exist in because Jesus is coming back. And there's blessing when that occurs, but there's blessing now that we can experience. Because there's still the conflict. And, and one point is, let, let everybody who's rebellious, let them be rebellious. Everybody who's holy, pursue holiness. Beware of those on the outside. But listen, or beware of them so, we're not, so they don't influence us to silence our worship. When we worship, it grows. When we see the greatness of God, it should grow and should affect the people that we are involved with. The lives of the people that we are regularly around. Worship. And the blessing flows through us. So, what do we say? Look at verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. So is this the spirit saying to the bride, for the bride to come? Or is this the bride telling Jesus, come? Yes. We are saying, come. But do you recognize? Jesus is calling to us as well. Do you hear his call? Do you, do you receive the warmth of his call to come and experience his living waters and his life and his light? See, a lot of times we are more aware. Most of the time we're more aware of what we have to do and the posture of our own hearts toward God. And we forget his posture toward us. He wants us to come to him. He's not delaying because he's mad. He's delaying. Because more people need to worship him. But he's saying to us, come, come. Jesus is saying to us, his bride, come. So we will do that by celebrating communion this morning. If you are new to how we do this, we simply just come down the middle aisle, get the elements and then save them as you go back to your seats and we'll take them together, but we will just remember as we're doing this and as we're experiencing the fellowship of what Jesus told us to do as his people until he returns, 
We are, we are doing this by faith, saying one day all of this will be seen with our eyes. Because uh, communion, first off, is, it's, it is the gospel for our eyes, seeing the body and blood of Christ. So anybody who has repented of their sins and trusted Christ for salvation is welcome at the communion table. If you're unsure if you've done that, I just ask you now. Will you repent of your sins and call upon Jesus for salvation? Jesus saved me. That's all you have to do. And trust that he is the glorious God who is enthroned over your heart. All right, if you would please come uh, get the elements and then return to your seat so we can take them together. captures the longing of Jesus with this meal. It says, when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You hear that? The Savior is eager to have that meal because he knew it would represent what he was getting ready to do and that suffering. Remember, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross because of the communion that he wants to have with us as his bride, as his people. So he longs for this. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He's waiting to have this the marriage supper of the Lamb. He is waiting. So he tells us, continue to do it. We're doing this as a remembrance, but we're doing this also to look forward to what we'll experience with him. So he took the bread and gave thanks.
And he said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. Saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember the sacrifice of Christ as we take. Wait a minute, I gotta make sure I get a small piece. (laughs) Then he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. That is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. What a new covenant that we celebrate. That has its culmination in glory in the New Jerusalem. So we drink this in thankfulness that we have this covenant. And it's a covenant promise that doesn't depend on our performance to keep it. Because Jesus already promised, no, I got you. Trust me. I got you. Trust me. So we're with him in heaven. So let's drink in remembrance, but also looking forward. Lord, thank you for your greatness and your goodness thank you for your exaltation thank you for your preeminence thank you for choosing us for salvation and welcoming us into the communion that you have and the fellowship that you have as god the father and the son and the spirit lord we want to experience you more and more and more so let's church let's be reminded again As we look to heaven, we have a responsibility here, a faithful response to go. Let's be reminded when Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you down the street shortly.